Well, you can in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to quickly, um, I hope I'm going to quickly be able to do this, talk a little bit about um, the kind of church the Holy Spirit likes to go to. The kind of church the Holy Spirit likes to go to. You know, we are living in days where the presence of God is increasing in a manifested way, and we're going to begin to see some unusual things happen, I tell you. We've begun to see God do some amazing things. I was in a meeting recently where um, God began to break in, and the wind of the Spirit began to blow. This particular couple were praying, and they were the only people around where God was moving, and literally their shirts were blowing in the wind. No one else was experiencing it. It was quite unusual. It was like a whirlwind of God's glory that came around them. And uh, we're going to begin to see God do some things that uh, is going to begin to blow us away into the purposes of God. All right? I believe God wants to put on display his glory. Yeah. <clears throat> I believe God wants to put on display his glory. Yeah. I, um, I was uh, in an encounter in, in 2011, 2010, sorry. No? 2011. I had this encounter with God where God took me into the strategic rooms of heaven. And uh, when I'm talking about, what I'm talking about right now is a, a, a prophetic encounter where sometimes God shows me things and it's like I become unaware of the places around me and I become more aware of the heavenly dynamic. And that's what a trance means. It's just that you get caught up into the heavenly reality of where God is. And God began to speak to me about a season of crossover. And I prophesied about this in this church before, that God is taking us into a season where we're crossing over into his purposes and into his destiny. And the way we've done things is not the way we're going to do things. And there's a big difference between wilderness mentality and promised land mentality. In the wilderness, you have just enough. And so you get the same pair of shoes, Lord Jesus, help me, for 40 years. That's it. <laughs> I don't think I would have coped. Um, you know, you get the same food for 40 years. That's wilderness mentality. You walk around the same scenery for 40 years. All right? And you just have enough. God's provision is there. God's goodness is on display. But it's just enough. In the promised land, you get more than enough. You get variety, you get blessing, and you're no longer looking to God for something. You're simply living in the abundance of God's goodness. You're no longer looking for favor, you're living in favor. You're no longer working for approval, you're working in approval. Do you understand what I mean? That's the difference between the wilderness and the promised land. And God has brought us into a season where we're coming into the promised land, and God spoke to me and said, in the second half, of 2011, that there would be some incredible signs and wonders that will begin to shake the earth. And God spoke to me about the flooding and the unusual weather patterns along the east coast of America. And uh, I emailed this word long before these things happened to a few friends for accountability's sake. So I'm speaking out of integrity. Um, 
And I saw literally on the east coast of America flooding and unusual weather patterns, particularly at a summertime. And you'd remember last year that that's exactly what happened in New York. They had to evacuate people. All sorts of things happened last year. God also spoke to me about the current economic collapse, the double dip, if, you, if I could put it that way, that there's going to be another massive shaking in this nation, which we're beginning to touch, but I think it will begin to increase uh, because I believe God is wanting to position this nation uh, in a place of desperation for revival and transformation. And so it was a great joy that uh, this year I heard the Queen's um, Christmas preach. It was phenomenal. If you haven't heard it, download it on YouTube. She's so clear about the gospel. She's so clear that only Jesus saves. In this politically correct environment, this woman, this statesman, this ambassador for heaven gets up and cuts across the political junk and says, Jesus is the unique man who gets to save. I like that. And I believe God is positioning this nation in a place where he's about to move in an incredible way. And God spoke to me and said they're going to be hot spots of breakouts of glory. And as a sign to you that this will begin to happen, there is going to begin to be some unusual manifestations that will happen in the second half of 2011. And some of you will now know the, the famous 2011 uh, in October where God broke out in Bethel Church with a cloud of incredible gold dust. And I was chatting to uh, John and Carol Arnott who were hosting that meeting the first time it happened in November last year. And they said the thing that was unusual, the thing that was different about this cloud is the gold dust was not coming down, it was going up. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> I mean, it's completely other. Do you know what I'm saying? And uh, I believe we're in the season where God is going to begin to break out in unusual ways and, and in ways that aren't going to make sense to the norm. And lest you think that I'm a science and wonder seeker, I am, because that's biblical. The disciples pray, God, stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders. It's a biblical prayer. I seek after signs and wonders because they point to a greater reality called Jesus. You see, we get so religious sometimes. I seek the giver, not the gift. The Bible tells you to seek the gift and the giver. Anyway, you're blessed with every spiritual gift anyway. So, um, And so I believe we're in the season where God's wanting to do some things. And I believe it's important that we understand how we ought to shape the wineskin of our churches in order to be ready to receive what God wants to do. It's very important that you realize that the wineskin's got to be flexible. Do you know what you do with the wineskin that's become dry? You take it out and you get a rock and you hit that jolly piece of leather, and you stretch it out, and then you go pour some oil in it. It's not very pleasant. I'd rather stay flexible. I'd rather stay full of the wine. And the problem about the wine is that the wine skin is not, uh, is not the thing that determines how the wine is shaped. It's the wine that determines how the wine skin is shaped. Do you get that? 
And sometimes we get the, our structures all in place before we've got the wine. And when the wine comes, it spills all over the place. I grew up in wineland. Right? I grew up in some of the best wine farms in the world. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I know a thing or two. And it's incredible when you go into um, a, 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 a cellar and you see the early process of making the wine. They have these huge vats, these stainless steel vats of wine that they've crushed all the juice in. And you'll see it filled right to the brim. And they put a little bit of yeast in it to begin to activate the sugar and the fermenting process, right? And what you'll see is once the yeast is in there, the wine begins to move by itself. You'll literally see the top of the wine moving. There's nothing making that wine move except the life that is in it. And when you drink that wine at that moment... Sweet Jesus, it tastes horrible. It's disgusting to the mouth, but it will intoxicate you like that. It will impact on your behavior. So when Jesus says that some prefer the old wine, what he's referring to is the fact that the old wine is a little bit more palatable, and it takes you a little bit longer to get drunk on the old wine. But the new wine, (laughs) thank you, Jesus, might taste bad to your mouth. It might not be as palatable. It might not fit the way we've always done things. It might not look as nice, but it will change your behavior quicker. (laughs) And we're in these days where we have to understand that the Holy Spirit is going to pour himself out into churches and have the right wineskin so that the community is transformed and changed. The wine's not just for us. (laughs) He's coming back for a people. He's coming back for communities. He's coming back for Chelmsford, the city of Chelmsford. (laughs) And the reason why we're getting you intoxicated tonight is to get you ready. Well, it's just for fun. That's, That's primarily the reason. Because we're allowed to have fun. Some of you are really in church. Yes, we are allowed to have fun in church. But we want to take it out there so that everything changes. (laughs) And I want to say to you, in this church, you're probably going to live in the holy tension of unpredictability. Can I get an amen? You're going to live in the holy tension of unpredictability because the wineskin is not ever going to stay the same. It's going to be flexible. It's going to make room for the wine. Help me, Jesus. I'm telling the truth now. I'm not just preaching. And that means you're going to have to get ready to be inconvenienced. It means that the first two or three sips of that wine is going to taste horrible to you. It's not going to make sense. Why would you have that? Why don't we rather have the old stuff? That Merlot of 1994 is so good. Why don't we drink that rather? Do you know what I'm saying? 
you should be a one Corinthians chapter three. Sorry, I want to just read very quickly from verse. Verse 5, or verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, as Corinthians in chapter 3, and now verse 5. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything that's coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters and stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which is being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? Whoo! Shika bazooka, that's a good point. You don't even need exegesis on that one. Verse 9. For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, that once had glory has come to no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being broken and came with glory much more, will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, the veil lies over their heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? Okay, that was English. I'm going to try and get some Scottish out of you in a moment. Now the Lord is Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is? There we go. Look at that. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Paul is writing this letter into the church in Corinth, and he is wanting to authenticate his apostolic ministry. And when he's doing this, the way he appeals to authenticate his apostolic ministry is not simply by the teaching he brings. It's not even by the signs and wonders that he does. It is by the new creation that is being revealed in the people of God. And so he says, I want you to know, in, you know, in, in verse 1 and, and 2, he talks about commanding himself. And he says, I want you to know you are the letter from Christ. You are our authentication. You are the one that points to the fact that this gospel of grace, this gospel of a new creation is true and effective in changing everything. He says the spirit is like a signature on your heart, signing and authenticating the fact that you're a new creation. Don't you like that? It's like he comes to sign on the dotted line so that the check is honored in heaven. And one of the key things that we have to understand about the kind of churches that we're building, the kind of way we're building to authenticate and to uh, open ourselves up to the move of God, 
It's not one that is based on who we were or what we did do, but it is one that is based on the fact that we now are new creations. Now let me help you a little bit, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. Your new creation reality is not just a better model of who you used to be. When God made you a new creation, he wasn't just going, oh great, let's make you a more moral version of who you used to be. He's not just going, oh, let's do a little makeover, a little bit of liposuction and we'll see what happens. No, no. When you became a new creation, the word there is kainos, you became totally new in terms of quality and kind. In other words, you're not who you were, you're brand new. You're a new species. In fact, you're a new species that the world has yet to come into contact with, and when they do, they want in. (laughs) And when Paul is writing particularly in the book of Corinthians about your new creation reality, when he's laying out the foundation of apostolic doctrine that everything has become new, that the old has passed away, that we regard one another not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Can we see each other through the eyes of faith that the Holy Spirit mirrors the likeness of Christ in us? That when that begins to happen, you begin to realize Paul is not simply writing to individuals, he's writing to a community. And he's saying that this word kainos is not simply an individual word, in fact it's a corporate word. In other words, the church of Jesus Christ is the new community of an out-of-the-world species. We're aliens. (laughs) And we're so radically different, we're so radically new, that the old version of us is six foot under, dead and buried. (laughs) I know so many Christians who practice... Um, speaking to the dead. You know, I'm such a loser, I'm such a sinner. No, that's your dead old you. You're a new creation. (laughs) And the authenticating mark of Paul's apostolic mission and ministry is that the Holy Spirit comes to a community and shines on the dotted line that this is a new species. This is a new creation. We've not seen anything like this before. And not only that, he comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit and he pours himself without measure. Many people say to me, Julian, give me a double portion of your anointing. Why do you want a double portion of my anointing when you can have the Holy Spirit without measure? (laughs) And the kind of churches that we're going to build, the kind of churches that we have to build in order to understand and to move into the things of the Spirit is that we have to get the fundamental apostolic doctrine right that you're a new creation. Help me, Jesus. You're a community that now looks like Jesus. The reason why God gives gifts to men and women is because they reflect his body as the resurrected Lord. 
that what makes us a wineskin ready for the move of the Holy Spirit is that we all understand that each one of us have a gift. Now, it's not dependent upon one particular minister up front, but that we all now are a new creation, gifted and empowered with the Holy Spirit to do extraordinary things, that signs and wonders follow us, not the other way around, that we walk in the fullness of the deity of heaven, that our place is right there in the center of Trinitarian unity and community, and that is what distinguishes Distinguishes us from any other community in the world. Man, I'm preaching my heart out now. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. <laughs> because when you begin to understand this, the direct result of understanding the fact that you're a Kainos community, a new creation community, the direct result is radical, unashamed crazy, over-the-top praise and worship. And the kind of place the Holy Spirit likes to live is in a worshiping community because all he loves to do is worship Jesus. You see, can I just say, your worship is going to get louder and longer. But it's going to have to spill out from this place to the city of Chelmsford. If it stays in this place, you'll (laughs) self-combust. You'll just blow up. This has got to spill over. You see, the kind of places the Holy Spirit loves to visit are worshipping communities. You see, the whole point that Paul is arguing about the new creation, about his apostolic authenticity, is that when you get that, the very next thing is you're gazing upon his glory. You see, worship is the fundamental reason why we come to church. You don't come to church for a preach. You don't come to church for the fellowship. You don't come to church... Well, you guys know this already. To give an offering. You come to church because of worship. And you see, in this season where we're having all this kind of secret sensitive stuff going down and people are saying, oh, we need to be aware of the lust, which I agree with. We've got to be aware of the uninitiated. And if you are in this meeting and you don't know Jesus, can I encourage you? He loves you so very much. And we want you to be part of this community, to feel comfortable. We want you to belong without having to perform. You don't have to do anything to be part of this community. You can just be. Is that true? Oh, good. I thought I was preaching to the wrong community here. But here's the reality. The only seeker I'm concerned about is the one who's seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. The Holy Spirit loves worshiping communities. He loves communities that set time aside just to get lost in the beauty of Jesus. Oh, man, I'm still moved by his beauty. I'm still moved by his extravagance. I'm still moved by the fact that when I come into his presence, suddenly everything is put into the right perspective. I'm still overwhelmed by the fact that actually worship 
something that I need to do. Do you know that God doesn't need our worship? That even in the design of worship, there is a divine exchange that happens. He does not need your worship because if God needed anything, that would make him imperfect. You see, even the worship that you give him, even the glory that you give him comes out of an act of grace because he put something of his glory in you. So out of the glory that he put in you, you can give him something back. And as you give him something of your glory, there's a divine exchange that happens where he just pours out a whole lot more. And there's this divine cycle of glory that begins to happen as you begin to gaze upon him, as you begin to look upon him, and you begin to become more and more aware of who you really are in him. You see, when we say, I give you glory, It's only because we were broken image bearers of him and now we've been made whole in Christ Jesus and the glory that was on Jesus. The Father, according to the book of John chapter 17, has now put on us. Oh, that deserved a huge (laughs) praise right there. Jesus prayed, he said, Father, let the same glory that was on me be put on them. That's why you worship like you do. (laughs) Because it's glorious. A worshiping community produces a graceful community. In this text, Paul is arguing that true, authentic, apostolic churches look like freedom. (laughs) It looks like freedom. It does not look like rules and regulations, laws and more things of what you can or cannot do. It is freedom. The whole whole point of your salvation is freedom. It is for freedom. In fact, Paul gets so angry with the Galatians that he says, your attempt at maintaining your righteousness, your attempt at fulfilling this in your flesh is witchcraft. He says, who has bewitched you? Haven't begun in the spirit, you're now trying to achieve this through the flesh. Oh, brothers and sisters, you need to realize that any hint of legalism is rooted in a demonic spirit of religion. Help me, Jesus. Because I just felt that demonic spirit of religion just hit right now. Just lean in the hand a little bit. It doesn't matter what you try and do. It doesn't matter how you try and do it. Your effort means absolutely nothing if it's not inspired by grace. If you're looking for something, if you're working for something, brothers and sisters, you've missed the point. Grace really is that extravagant. I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, just when you think you've abused grace is when grace really begins for you. He says, until someone accuses you of abusing the grace of God, you're not really preaching the grace of God. (sighs) This is going over like a leg balloon. 
You see, the law brings death. It brings death. You can't mix the two. You can't have a little bit of legalism. Let's do a little bit of hard work. No, no, if the hard work is not inspired from grace, you see, I work hard not for grace, but from grace. I work hard not for favor, but from favor. I work hard not for approval, but from approval. My, I've passed, I've got an A plus on the test, even though I didn't even write the exam. Jesus wrote it for me. And the joy is that even if I fall and mess up, I'm on an escalator of grace. So even when I fall, I'm still going up. You cannot mix the two. You see, the kind of churches that the Holy Spirit loves to visit are free churches. He hates legalism. Trust me, I know him quite well. He hates legalism. He smells legalism and he's out of there. He will not mix the two ever. The Holy Spirit hates any kind of religiosity. Because it's the Spirit who brings freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's what he brings. He brings a kind of radical freedom that moves you from the head to the heart. A kind of radical freedom that doesn't dominate and doesn't leave you in a place of bondage, but freedom that moves you into radical expression of his goodness. Of his favor. I love what one translation says the fragile and fading glory of the flesh is dwarfed into insignificance by the unfading glory of the spirit. The reality of grace, the reality of a community of grace, is that freedom is the result. And we see ourselves as not guilty, that the penalty is no longer ours to pay. That I'm not trying to outpay or trying to repay or try to outwork God. I'm simply living in that which he's already given me. And the only prerequisite for it is faith. Abraham was a random Iranian man walking in the middle of the desert. God said, I like the look of you. He said, thanks, I'll take whatever you can give me. And that's how God describes faith. That's how God describes faith. The Lord and the Spirit are one. His Lordship sanctions our freedom. A freedom from rules chiseled in stone to the voice of our redeemed design echoing in our hearts. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Brothers and sisters, you're called to freedom. If there's any area of bondage, if there's any area where you're living in a place governed by what I call stinking thinking, old man thinking, thinking about what you used to be, God wants you to agree with heaven's perspective. He wants you to agree with heaven's perspective. You see, and this is the last point I'm going to make. The Holy Spirit loves churches who celebrate the fact that the hope of glory is Christ in us. 
You see, the whole point of beholding him in a mirror is to see who we now really are. I really used to struggle with that verse, that we are all uh, beholding him as in a mirror and being changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Because I kept thinking, if I look in a mirror, I see myself. How does this work? Here's the reality that the Holy Spirit loves to visit people who are gazing into the mirror of new creation reality because when I see that picture in the mirror, what I see is Jesus. Because my new design, my new identity is that what's true of my older brother is true of me. Because I'm in him, as I gaze at that mirror, all I see is him. Do you realize what that means? That when you are beholding this mirror in worship, what you see is the reflected truth of who you now are, that everything that is true of Jesus Christ is now true of you. (laughs) That the thing, the the very picture that you're gazing, I'm going to talk a little bit about this tomorrow, about the image of the invisible God suddenly is being revealed in this mirror because you've got Christ in you. Whoo! The kind of church like the Holy Spirit likes to come to is a worshiping church. It's a graceful church. It's a freedom church. And it's a church that's based on the revelation of the Christ. Now I see the anointed one and his anointing. I see the one who is crowned in glory and I am being changed from that image of glory into another degree of glory. What that really means is not that I've got this lifelong change or metamorphosis that's happening. It's that I have already been changed. I'm just becoming aware of the thing I'm looking at in the mirror. You see, the ugly duckling lived with the thinking of the ugly duckling when everyone else saw a swan. And for many Christians, we live with our old thinking patterns that we're still that old, stinky, smelly, rotten corpse. And we live under the domination of that thinking when God has said over us that you look like Jesus. <laughs> what John says, as he is, so are we in this world. What are you gazing on? What are you looking at? Because what you look at, you become like. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul argues in this context that the only way we get to see the life of the Spirit and the glory of God is by radical freedom. Any hint of legalism. You see, the law came with glory, right? The law came with a measure of glory. It did have glory. The law is perfect. Because the Bible says it's not going to pass away. The law is perfect. It stands forever. 
It's absolutely perfect. And there was a measure of glory on it. In fact, the law spoke of shadows, but there was no substance in it. Have you ever walked in, in, on, you know, in, in uh, an open field and you see a plane fly over and you look at the shadow? You don't point to the shadow because that's not the substance. You point to the aeroplane in the sky. That's the substance of that shadow. And the law acts as a shadow, as a precursor, as something that points out to who we were. But the substance of the fulfillment of the perfection of the law is in Jesus. And we happen to be in him. But most of us are still pointing at the shadow and living in the shadow when God's called us to live in him. And Paul's argument here is that every time you point at the shadow, the glory decreases. You see, this is why many people come into meetings like this. They get filled with the Holy Ghost. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They get touched by God. The glory comes upon them. They walk out and they carry the glory. And for two or three days, they're in the glory. Four days come by and you think, I need to fast now to try and maintain this thing. You need to work a little bit harder to try and maintain this thing. And then they start their little religious activity and the glory fades. And they wonder why they don't have the glory anymore. Well, it's because you're pointing at the shadow and you're not living in the substance. You see, this church cannot be a Holy Spirit church if you keep pointing to the shadow of who you were. You've got to live in the substance of who he is. This is the kind of church the Holy Spirit loves. Is a church that knows who they are in Christ. <laughs> you see, I believe that in every move of God, there is the DNA for two things to happen. One, for it to carry on from one generation to the next. And two, for it to increase in incredible power. But most Moves of God die because men try and put legalistic restraints around it rather than staying open to the moving of his spirit. Brothers and sisters, we're living in days where God is wanting to visit us by his spirit, where God is wanting to come to the church, change us, and radically transform us. I don't know about you, but I'm up for that. I've been doing church for over 30 um, 30 years now, over 30 years. I've done it. I can sing the right songs. I can say hallelujah when I need to. But if there's no power, if there's no demonstration of the Spirit, what is the point? Take me home, Jesus. Are you living in the shadow or are you living in the substance? Are you living with an ugly duckling mentality or do you know that you're a swan? (laughs) We all with unveiled faces are beholding as in a mirror. We are being changed from that picture, from that very image, from one degree of glory to another. Brothers and sisters, do you know who you are? Do you know who you are? And in every way that Jesus is loved by the Father, 
so are you. In every way that he's accepted by the Father, so are you. This is not just, you see, this is not just teaching you grace for the sake of teaching you grace. This is grace that empowers you to do the extraordinary. If you want more faith, you need to learn to enjoy more grace. Are you living in the shadow or the substance? You see, when you live in the substance, your shadow becomes an opportunity to heal people. <laughs> I want to live in the substance that my shadow heals people. I'm hungry for a move of God. I'm hungry for his presence to come. Tomorrow morning, we're going to have church. And you can come with your church hat on, or you can come with your hungry hat on. I'm going to do some ministry in a moment now. I think God wants to really speak to lots of people. How hungry are you? (laughs) Where do you want to live? Shadow or substance? Oh, I tell you what, he's good. He's really good. It's the kind of church the Holy Spirit comes to. I want to encourage you. Yeah, I'll end with this, for real. In South Africa, we have incredible game parks. I mean, just phenomenal game parks. If you've not been to South Africa, it's uh, worth the pilgrimage. Um, it really will give you an opportunity to worship Jesus. I promise you it will. Um, not just because of the good wine, but because of everything else too. Um, and uh, we have these amazing game parks. And in the game parks, you've got these phenomenal lions. I mean, 